0: Oh, there's already a bit of yellow blood in my in my veins. I already had a crazy 80 months here, but it just keeps on uh, keeps on going. Get into the box it goes, it's gonna run
1: Fernandez! I've yeah! got it! Welcome to All in Yellow,
0: the official Norwich City podcast. Toukey! Sensational! Who else?
1: Hello and welcome to episode 7 of the All In Yellow podcast. Today we're speaking to one of the current unsung heroes behind the scenes at the Lotus Training Centre, it's Player Liaison Officer Phil Lithgow.
0: Well, Phil made 12 appearances for the club in the late 1970s, but is more known for his current role with the Canaries, helping new players settle into life in Norfolk and being the point of contact for any issues they have on and off the field.
1: Yeah it's certainly going to be an interesting chat with Phil. His role at the training ground is crucial really for the morale of all the players and staff but before we get started make sure you subscribe to the All In Yellow podcast as we aim to bring the best Norwich City insight out there. We're on Apple podcast and Spotify just search All In Yellow and we're also on the Norwich City YouTube channel so let's get cracking episode seven of All In Yellow with today's guest player liaison officer Phil Lithgow. Thank you for joining us, Phil. Great to see you. You, of course, are the Player Liaison Officer, but you've got a long-running relationship with Norwich City. Just take us back to the very beginning.
2: Um, right, back to the beginning. That's a long way back there, Alice. Uh, um, my first my first connection with the Football Club was uh, when I was 14, 14 years old. Um, so that is going to be 1974, so a long, long time ago. Um, Playing football at school and um, one of the scouts at the football club was a guy called Fred Davis who was a goalkeeper uh, I think in his time at Bournemouth. Uh, He came up with John Bond and Ken Brown uh, when John was the the manager of the football club and he was scouting the the younger kids. Went to my old school which is Sprowson Junior School uh, and just asked a PE teacher if there's anybody he could recommend who um, was pretty good, half-decent at football, um, and... Did you know Hey. Eh? <laughs> and the guy's name, uh, was the PE te- teacher, was uh, Mr Clough. Um, and uh, so he recommended myself and my brother. And so Fred Davis came round our house, which you could do in them days. No scouts, sorry, no, no agents or nothing. So he, he came and visited uh, and just invited us up for a trial. Um, back in the day, and the training ground was at Trouse, which, if anybody's ever been there, is completely and utterly different to what we have up here. Um, and it was over an Easter, like an Easter weekend, and there we, we turned up, and there must have been 200 kids just turned up for a trial. And that was just uh, a continuous game for two, three hours, and you were sent on, brought off, sent on thrown out in different positions, brought off again, sent on, uh, and, and that's just how it was back in the day. Um, but luckily, they must have seen something. Um, so I, I signed schoolboy forms when I was 14, which is what you did back in the day. And that was like a two year contract where you couldn't go to any other football club. So between 14 and 16, uh, I used to train on a Thursday night at Trouse. Uh, and then when I was 15, I was lucky enough to get picked in the youth team. Um, oh,
1: your, dad, your dad must have been very proud because he yeah. played for Norwich
2: as well, didn't he? Yeah. He, he did, yeah, yeah. My father played, uh, th- I think, oh, I always get the years wrong, about 58 to 62. Um, yeah. So he was here, was that right? So he was here, he was, yeah, he was here at the famous cup run. Uh, although I don't think he played any games. Um, so yeah, my, my father played for the football club. He signed from Bolton, which is where all my family come from, up in Lancashire. Um, but obviously, I was born down here because my dad uh, w- was w- was playing for the football club. Um, so yeah, it was quite. Uh, he, he didn't push me at all. Uh, he, he wasn't that sort of that sort of father. Um, I just love playing football like any any young kid back in the seventies. As simple as that. Um, but to sign for your home club is 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 brilliant. You know, it's, uh, I was quite pleased when they offered me an apprenticeship when I was sixteen as well. So um, I think I've had about four years as a pro here, so joined at 14, signed as a pro uh, at uh, 18 and then I moved on to Oxford United uh, when I was 22, I think. Uh, I played at Oxford United for a couple of years, so So it goes back a long way, there's a big gap and then um, I rejoined the football club in 2006 in the commercial department. Uh, and then for the last eight seasons, I've been based here at the training ground uh, as player liaison officer. So, so that, that is about it.
0: So, Phil, I heard there was chatter at, uh, amongst Carrow Road. Someone said you scored a goal against Manchester United somewhere at some point. <laughs> now, Alice and I, we, we tried to do our research. We couldn't exactly pinpoint the game unless Alice had more luck than me. But, but is
2: this true? Well, the lucky thing is back in that day, there's no cameras. So I can sit here and tell everybody that it was a 30-yard volley from the halfway line or whatever. But um, that, is, uh, that was true, yeah. We, we played Man United, um, I think I was 18. And I'd had a few games in the first team um, and uh, I put us 1-0 up, actually, um, with a, a fantastic strike, which no one's ever seen. Um,
1: We've read about it.
2: <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, good. Uh, I, have got, I, I have got a photograph Someone sent me back in the day uh, of the ball just nestling in the net, so it could have been it could have been from any game. Um, but uh, yeah, we, we went wound up uh, and then eventually lost the game three-one. What
1: so, was it like um, playing in that legendary John Bond
2: era? Oh, it's fantastic. Yeah, um, I think that's where the club got the got the reputation of playing good football. It uh, just training was fantastic. Um, it was ball work all the time um we used to do our pre-season running up Mousehole, which is uh, i think most people who, who follow the football club know all the stories about pre-season training at Mousehole, but as soon as the pre-season was was over uh, every training session was with a ball uh he, he loved to pass and move uh, and any anybody who had a little bit of skill or a bit of flair um he, he would encourage it all the time um and I was lucky enough to have a, have a little bit of skill with me um but he didn't mind throwing youngsters in as well, back in the day, um, but uh, it, it, it was an exciting time really. Uh, and we were quite, a, it's called the Premier League now obviously, but we were quite a good side in Division, in division 1 as it was called then. You, you know, we um, the four years I had there, we were come to be mid-table all the time. Um, so uh, it, and it's always been a bit of a fortress, Cow Road. Not many clubs like to come to Cow Road, but back in the day, it was still massive crowds. Um, not what we get now, but um, it was a tough place to come for opposition teams. Some yeah. very good
1: players as well, the likes of yeah. Kevin Keelan and Martin Peters as well. Yeah. What was that like, playing with them?
2: Well, it was strange really, because uh, I, I sort of left school at 16 um, and I was lucky enough to get apprenticeship um, with the football club. And on the first day you get there, being an apprentice, uh, nothing's changed now, they're called academy kids, but we, we then got three professionals to look after. Uh, and so they 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 sort of wheel you into the, the home changer room. Uh, and I was given, um, and some of the older people might know these names, I was given Ted McDougall, uh Phil Boyer, and uh, Martin Peters as my three players to look after with kit, shorts, shirts, socks, uh, and, like two months before that, I'm um, stood in the Barclay with everyone else watching them play, and then two months later, yeah, you, you, you know they're shouting at you to go and get a clean pair of socks or something. So, but back in the day, you—that was how it was then. You—you you didn't, you didn't speak, <laughs> you know. It was uh, it was quite an ominous sort of uh, change room to walk into because there were some big names in there: Colin Suggett, uh, like I said, Kevin Keelan, big Duncan Forbes are still about. Dave Stringer, uh, you, you know, and the fact that two months before that you'd just be stood in the stand with everyone else watching them play, and then all of a sudden you, you sat next to them. Um, it uh, t- took a bit of getting used to, actually.
1: Was it intimidating at all?
2: Very, very, th- yeah. Um, the young lads today are a bit more, bit more confident. Uh, probably got a bit more about them, but you know, back in the in, in the mid seventies, uh, you know, you didn't you didn't open your mouth at all. You just did as you were told. And that was it. Some of the lads were good. Um, Tim McDougall wasn't the most pleasant sort of guy. And I think uh, later in the years, he's, he's admitted that. Um, he was a bit of a dour scotch. Why was that? <coughs> uh, Didn't very ready speak to you, really. Just do this, do that, no please or thank you. He um, just got on with it, that's how it was. And back in the day, that's called character building, Alice.
0: Not so much these days. How do you, how do you find the atmosphere's changed, Phil?
2: Well, the the academy lads up here—they're sort of separate from the first team squad. Um, It's similar to us back in the day. uh, The the first team squad had the home dressing room at at Trowse, and the younger pros and the apprentices had the away. um, But here, we're in different buildings. Um, But but the younger lads here—they've got a bit more about them, um, which that has obviously transpired over the years. Uh, But but going back to the 70s, it was uh, it was different times different times you know um if somebody told you to do something you, you did it back in the day then that was it there was no arguing or uh, I ain't sure if I want to do that you just had to get on with it but sometimes you just get a five pound Christmas bonus so it was great
1: <laughs> <laughs> and I, I think you made was it 12 appearances for Norwich yeah why why do you think it perhaps wasn't more
2: well back in the day uh the, the money was nowhere, nowhere near what it is at, at, at the present time, and um, you know we there must have been way over forty players at the football club, way over because no one got the, the sort of money that people are on now. So football clubs could afford to have a lot of players, um, and we, we must have had thirty-five, thirty-six players in the first team squad, and then you got another. 15 or 20 in the reserves and then you've got the apprentices which is the youngsters you know there was a lot of players um you know so to be honest you were were lucky to get a game in the reserves because back in the day if the first team were away the reserves were at home it was saturday at three o'clock every week um and we used to play at the stadium which they they don't do now the reserve team Uh, and the reserve team used to have people like uh, mick mcguire who uh, who is went on to have a fantastic career at the PFA. Keith Robson, Graham Padden, uh, Kevin Keenan played a few games. Well, people coming back from injury back in the day would spend six or seven weeks playing with the reserves. So for the young lads, it, it was brilliant. But um, like I said, you do well to get a game in the reserves because there were so many players at the football club because you, you could afford to have a big squad. Was um, it
1: hard dealing <clears> with <throat> that amount of competition then?
2: Yeah, you didn't, you didn't really think of was uh, as competition, Alice, to be honest. You, you just you just went into training, just got on with it. And if you had a few good games, you, you'd get your chance. Uh, and nothing's different today. If you get your chance, you've got to take it. Uh, and the, the only reason I got my chance was uh, back in the 70s, um, a lot of players used to go and play in America where the, the American football was starting to take off with the likes of Beckenbauer and Pelé all playing for New York Cosmos. Um, and like I said, we were quite comfortable in mid-table and um, John Bond let, I think it was about seven or eight players go and play for the summer I- I- in America. Uh, and that is when I got my chance to, to play in the first team. But I, I could have gone to America as well. I mean, I, I could have gone to um, a club called Detroit Express. Uh, I don't know if they're even around now, but um, he let some players go and he, he kept others. And I think the fact that we were quite comfortable in mid-table he gave a few young boys, myself and Justin Fashineau, uh Stevie Goble, these young lads here, we got a chance of playing six or seven games in the, in, in the first team, uh, which is fantastic. It really is um, a heck of a step, step up from reserve team football or, or under 23s, yeah.
0: What did you think the difference was for, between reserves and first team? It's,
2: well, we're struggling today, but it's the crowd. Uh, honest to God, you, you cannot not notice it. You know, once you've played in front of twenty thousand, as we're getting at Carroll Road, um, you know, and then the following Tuesday you might be picked the reserves away at Oxford um, in front of you know two hundred, you think, oh, you know, quite fancy the other thing really. So uh, that's, that's that's your driving point. It's just it's just the whole atmosphere, the build up of the day. Um, I used to actually walk to the ground because uh, I, I think I played. I think I. Got on the subs bench back in the day when there was only one sub, and I, I don't think I'd, I didn't have a car because I think I was 17, um, but I was in Diggs in the city, and I just I just walked from St Stephen's down with the crowd to the game, um, which would never ever happen today, uh, but no, you, you, you just walked, walked along with the crowd uh, in a suit and tie, <laughs> you know, and they're all the people looking at you, and then you, they suddenly realise who you are. Um, But the other thing I felt as well, uh, and I think other people tell you this, if you're a local lad, the crowd is straight away behind you. If you've come up through the ranks of the youth team, the reserves, or or the under-23s as it is now, um, I think the the crowd, just you you can just tell that they're behind you all the way. Um, And and it's great when you you, you might go on a little run, beat a couple of people, get a corner or something, and then the crowd are on top. It's brilliant. And, And that's what these lads today miss because of the situation we're in. Um, you know, I spoke to the players and it's like, it's, you know, it, it, it's like just having a training game uh, at the training ground. It's, there's just no atmosphere. And that's so for thing. some of
0: those young lads that have made their debut recently, uh, I, we thought it might've been easier for them. We, th- we thought it might've been easier for them coming on with no pressure, with no crowd there. But do you think actually they really would have benefited from having that
2: backing? Yeah. Yeah, it's you can't be you can't be doing something on a football pitch and then someone just applauding you and cheering and, and shouting your name. It's it, it's a great feeling. It really is. And I, I know a lot of players have said that because uh, it's just it's just encouragement. It's just encouragement for you.
1: Well, t- talking of that feeling, Phil, did you miss that feeling of playing in front of a crowd and playing football when your playing career did then come to an end? How how did your time at Norwich as a player finish?
2: Well, we. I've heard, I've heard some rumours that uh, basically um, a guy called Martin O'Neill, who, who, who managed the club as well, they were going to sign Martin O'Neill. He wanted um, he wanted a few quid to, to sign for us, um, and I just got called into the, to, to the manager's office and said that uh, Oxford United manager w- was was interested. He'd seen me play, and thinks I can do a job for him, and uh, do you want to go down and have a chat? Uh, and that was it. That was as, 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 as all it takes. Like I said, no agents back in them days. You, you sorted yourself out, um, and the fact that I could possibly play in the first team at Oxford, who were in uh, who were in the third division back then, which is now League One, um, was tempting. As like you said, was to, to play in the reserves. People just want to play in the first team. They just want to play in front of crowds uh, and, and, and get as high as they can and perform to, to the best of their ability. Um, in the first team, it's as simple as that. That's my thoughts, anyway. So, if if you play in the third
0: tier, Phil, at that time, would it mean having another job to complement your income from football as well?
2: No, no, no. This is a funny bit, Dan. Um, they doubled my wages. Now, so the decision was made easier um, because he said, "Well, look, you're going to be in the first team. Uh, you're on this, but we'll give you that." Um, and I'll tell you who did that for me, because I didn't really, I didn't really want to go, to be quite honest. I, you know, I, I was born in Norwich, I've, I had a lot of mates there. When you're 16, 17, 18, I'm still knocking around with my schoolmates, uh, as well as the, the, the fellow players. Um, but we had a guy called Mel Machin, again, who, who played for the football club, That uh, was a reserve team boss for a while. I think he followed John Bond to Manchester City, actually Mel did. Um, But Mel knew the manager at Oxford, a guy called Bill Asprey. And um, he said, leave it with me, Phil, I'll see if I can get you some more money. And then he came back and just said, right, you're on this at Norwich. Uh, They'll double up for you. Do you want me to tell you how much it was?
0: Uh, Only if you're comfortable admitting it.
2: It's a long time ago. Uh, So when I was in the first team at Norwich, I was on £90 a week. And Oxford paid me £180 a week. To go and play for them. Oh, so were
1: you expecting that, or was that no, a big surprise? No,
2: no, it was a big. It was a big surprise. So I, w- I was chuffed a bit from Mel Machin for a start off because he uh, he did the negotiating for me because uh, he knew the manager down there. Um, so I don't know what he said. He probably said that Norwich were going to pay me something, and if you wanted Phil, you'd have to reach this figure. Um, so I just drove down and, and, and signed. Uh, a three-year deal, but what I, again, I so young at the time. Um, there was a massive crowd bonus in this contract. If if, if Oxford ever got fifteen thousand, every player got something like five hundred pound. Well, back in the back in the nineteen eighties, I think it was. Uh, you think, wow, this is decent. So I didn't realise that Oxford only ever got four and a half thousand a home game. <laughs> so I signed Out there knocking door to door, getting people yeah. to come to the stadium. Yeah. It wasn't a huge stadium anyway, um, and I thought "God, oh, course is decent £500 as well if we get 15000 because I was used to getting that at Norwich and more, and uh, first home game I thought blimey, so they must come to the stadium late here because there were so many empty spaces, and uh, I hasten to add that we never ever, ever got over 15000 so that was, uh, whoever put that in a contract sort of knew what they were talking about really. But, uh,
1: but what, how, how different was it playing for them compared to your experience at Norwich?
2: Well, that's that's why uh, two actually leave Norwich. Um, and I, I know a few players have said this, uh, the, the, how the club is run, even back then. It, everyone has said to you, you have to go to another club to find out how it's run uh, to realise what a good football club Norwich City is. And I'm, I'm not just saying that because I'm employed by them. Um, the training... The setup, the everything was just a drop down. Um, but you're in the third division, you know, and they, they didn't have the finances that Norwich had. Not that we had too much back in back in the late seventies, but um, you know, you had For instance, we uh, there was no training ground, no training ground at all. Uh, we would go to the stadium at Oxford. It was called the Manor Ground then. Um, like most of the stadiums I played at, <coughs> they're all gone now, that's how old I am. Uh, everyone's got new stadiums now, so there was no training ground. You had one one piece of training kit to last you the week, so by Friday it um, it wasn't particularly very pleasant to put on um, and we used to have to get on a minibus and, and find a pitch at a local university. That's, that's, that's how we trained. Luckily at Oxford there's quite a few universities and, and there... Their facilities were far better than than the football clubs there, there was just um, There was just no money down there uh, but so you were
1: able to see what you had had at Norwich as well
2: yeah and uh, you know I, I've still kept in touch with a lot of lads who, who, you, who you sort of play with uh, and uh, they've all got a different club, and you think, mm, you know have I made the right decision but you, you do what you do at the time and if you if you're promised first in football. You tend to go, and the bonus of getting your salary doubled. Then it was a bit of a no-brainer, really, to be honest. And how
1: long were you there for,
2: Phil? I had two years. um, Excuse me, and I probably went through four managers. That was a problem. Um, The guy who signed me got sacked after about three months, and then we had another manager come in called Ian Greaves, who, who who was a good manager at Bolton Wanderers back in the day in, in, in the old First Division um, and like every manager they bring in players who they know can do them a job and if your face doesn't fit I'm afraid that's it so uh, but I stayed on for Ian Grease and then um, I got a few injuries down there it was a lot tougher than, lot tougher than uh, Division 1 a lot more physical down in League 3 as it is. Um there's some wily old characters about, and if if you had a bit of flair or a bit of skill or a bit of pace, and you made them look um, not so good, they they would just send you into the stand. And back in the day, to get a red card, you, you nearly had to sort of cut someone in half. So um, there was there's there a few nasty boys down there, old 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 pros as they call them, you know, experienced lads. So uh, they, they knew how to deal with a, a young little 19 year old, 20 year old like me. So.
1: Yeah, it's changed a lot now, I guess.
2: Yeah, yeah. Funny enough, I was speaking to Wes Houlahan the other day, and um, who's now playing at Cambridge, um, and I thought, playing hey, Wes, you, the sort of player Wes is going down to League Two. And I said to him, hey, how would you find it? He said, no, everyone, because you can't do it now. The, the players are so protected, you know. Um, but back in my day, they, you would just get smashed to bits. they told just talk, get up and get on with it. Uh, But Wes said, he said, no, it's it's not too bad. Every club down there still tries to play. Um, It's nowhere near as physical as he thought it would be. Um, So we have had a conversation about that. So football's completely changed now.
0: I suppose even, even now those clubs have got smoother surfaces to play on so they can play football properly. They've got good facilities. So
2: they're all athletes and in shape, you
0: know, even in League Two. So I guess that's a big change.
2: Exactly, exactly. I mean, the pitches back in my day were just, I think by about October, it was just a sandpit. Nothing like we have today. I mean, the, the facilities up at the training ground uh, are absolutely superb.
1: So that was your playing career. But how did you then come back to be at Norwich? Obviously, you do this from the training ground.
2: Yeah, well, I, um, I moved. I moved back here, like a lot of players um, who come and do two, three, four, five years here. Uh, you know, like Darren Huckabee. I think he's been on here. Darren Eady. I spoke to Darren Eady this morning and something. A lot of lads come to Norwich, uh, play the football move on, uh, uh, but a lot of people end up back in, 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 this, in this lovely city and in, in a nice nice county of Norfolk. Um, it's usually the, probably the wives and partners. It's a nice place to bring the family up, you know. Um, so I, I moved back. I ended up, when I left Oxford, uh, just had a quick spell at Cardiff um, and then ended up in Hong Kong, actually. Uh, played a bit of football there. Um, what was that like? Crazy, crazy. L- luckily, Luckily, I didn't last long because I don't think I'd be able to sit here now and, and tell you that I was still alive. That was... Uh, so in the 70s, it was America. And in the 80s, Hong Kong started to do some football. So they were getting some old players over there. And, um, wow, that is, that's, that's a 24-hour city, that place. So um, I didn't spend too long there. I came back uh, to my parents, started playing local football, really. Um, <clears throat> another guy who's connected with Norwich, Sammy Morgan. Um, he was the manager at Gorston. Heard I was back um a mate of mine got me a job uh, and I started playing f- for gaston um uh, and that was it and I just stayed in local football really for for a few years and i think uh, I think it was about thirty three when I stopped playing um
0: was the gap between local football like the galston's
2: lowestofts
0: was it smaller than it is i guess nowadays between the the professional clubs like norwich
2: yeah that was yeah it was a bit closer back then dan um now I think even clubs in League Two, but this this National League, if if you if anyone's got a bit of money and can get some decent players in, you know the gap can get a bit bit closer to to like the uh, to the professional the professional leagues. But um, back then Martin Peters was at Goulston as well, so I met up with Martin again, um, and I started working at uh, Eastern Counties Newspapers, uh, where I think it, your dad worked there as uh, it's now called Archon. Um, so basically just worked on the EDP, uh, Easton Daddy Press, for uh, about 18 years there. Uh, but when I stopped playing, I then set up, a, um, I'd moved to Deerham by then. I set up a soccer school in Deerham, Uh originally for six weeks in the summer holiday, because i got a coaching badge and I ended up doing it for 16 years. Wow. Every, so you enjoyed it? Every, every Saturday morning. And I've got a funny feeling that Todd Cantwell came. To one of my wow. one of my uh, classes. Um, Do you remember it. it? I think we've had sort of vague. I don't think he does actually. I think we've had vague conversations. But um, I lived in Durham. My soccer school was in Durham, and obviously, as most people know, Toddy is a Durham lad. I'm sure back in the day, um, he, he might have attended a couple of little sessions there. I probably told him he was rubbish and got to get your hair cut and clear off. But um, we haven't had that conversation yet. He ignored it all. He ignored it all. And then one day uh, I was looking through, through the EDP actually, and um, there was a vacancy for uh, an advertising and advertising sponsorship representative at the football club. And I thought, well, I do advertising. And yeah, yeah. And I thought, oh, I wonder what that's all about. And I applied for the job uh, uh, and lucky enough, I got it. And the, the main reason that the job became available is it was something that Brian Gunn did. And then Brian Gone got made. Uh, he got given an ambassadorial role at the football club, uh, so his part of his job role was sort of made vacant. So, um, and that was that was. 2000. You know, Brian
1: well before that then.
2: I knew of Brian. I knew of Brian. Um, Brian. Uh, We've done. There's been quite a few old old boys, legends, games, and you meet up. And uh, you, you know, it's once you're in a, in, in a little club of being a professional footballer, um, you know, you can go years without seeing people. And as soon as you get back in the changing room with them, you straight away back into this, that, and the banter and the Mickey taking, and um, it all comes flooding back. So you, there is a big miss when you, you're doing that day in, day out, and um, all of a sudden it stops. Um, it does take a bit of, bit of getting used to, so. Uh, is so the office Im- environment any sort of substitute <laughs> for that? <laughs> I'm trying to make it that, Dan. I'm trying to make it that. Um, so Brian moved, Brian moved on a bit, and um, I sort of stepped into his role a little bit, along with Jerry Goss. Um, so it was me, Jerry Goss, and a guy called Gary Cook, and we, we had the, like the advertising, just selling the ads around the board back in the day and the adverts in the Match Day program, and then obviously it it's progressed from there. Um, so I had about seven years up at the stadium doing that. Um, but one of my main roles was to sell uh, the kit sponsorship for the first team to companies so they could sponsor, say, back in the day, that somebody could sponsor Grant Holt for X amount of pounds for the year. That would get you A, B, C and D. And the main thing that these companies like was they used to come up to Coney to have uh, watch a bit of training, have lunch with the player. They would do a little photograph and at the end of the season, the player would sign his shirt, give it to the company and we'd frame it. And then that would be part of that sponsorship deal. That's a really Um,
0: nice thing, isn't it, for someone... Uh, yeah. You know, like
2: the commercial team at the moment, we've
0: we've done some stuff with them during lockdown, where we've had interviews yeah. like this. And it's a really nice thing for people to get involved and get closer to the club, to have that kind of uh, access exactly. and opportunity to be part of it.
2: Yeah, because it's, it's the closest you're ever going to get to them. You know, we sat around a, a round table in the dining room, just having some lunch. Um, some players are okay with it, some players aren't. And it was a little bit my job to just sort of chivvy the whole day along, but we should do that every Tuesday. Um, without fail, um, which took a bit of organising. We don't do it now. Um, we now just have a sponsorship dinner. So the players go up to the stadium now and we have a, a dinner and, and they all sit together there. But um, so I, uh, I did that for a, a, a few years. And then um, the manager, Chris Hewton. So we've never had a player liaison officer at his football club. Um, and Chris Hewton came along um, and he spoke to my boss then, a guy called Will Hoy. Um, and he said, "Where's the where's the player liaison officer for the football club?" And we said, well, "We we don't have one." He went, "What?" And we were in the Premier League at the time. <laughs> um, well, who does this? Who does that? Who looks after players? Uh, if we sign a player, who picks them up to the train station? Who pick? Who sorts some houses out? Well, and we all sort. Of, well, they all, certain people sort. But of we'll. So and so, if we can get all some keys, they'll show them a flat, and we get them taxi from the airport. And he went, "No, no, we need to step this up a level." So, because um, Chris had come from Newcastle and Tottenham, these big clubs—I uh, mean, Tottenham have four player liaisons um, for the size of the club. Um, so they decided to sort of create a role um, to become like a player liaison officer and uh, my boss Will Hoy just said to me Chris Hewton has asked me Phil to ask you to apply for this role because he's seen you in action every Tuesday with sponsors with the players with the staff at Kony, uh and he's seen you in action and you look quite comfortable and you put um, so I thought, all oh, right, that's a good sign. So well, I, and you I've, must
1: make them feel comfortable as well, which is just as important. Yeah, because I've
2: uh, I've been a, I've been a player, a professional footballer. And, you know, sometimes they get a, they are in a different world. It's just the level they're at, and you know, some some players to sit down with you know um, a company director or a or a carpenter or a plumber who's paid good money to sponsor his kit. You know, some some people find that difficult to do to sit and talk for. For, for half an hour, 45 minutes. Um, but I, I, I'm quite comfortable doing that. And um, so Chris obviously saw something. I applied for the job uh, and um, lucky enough to get it. Uh, and that was, I'm now in my eighth year doing this. Um,
1: what does your role entail then? What is Dave?
0: <laughs> Alice. That's what we want to know. Yeah. No, um, Podcast part one of two, this.
2: Yeah. Chris Sutton said to me, as soon as we've never had a player liaison officer at the football club, people will ask you that question. And he said, that is the most difficult question to answer because.
1: What don't you do then? Well,
2: this is it. It's easy to say that, Alice, because he says you will just end up doing anything. And I found my job description the other day because we've moved offices. And I would think out of 25 things on that original list, I probably do two now. The, thing, the whole thing evolves uh, and it's changed up here. Football is very quick changing business anyway. You just um, I'm just the go-to man for players, uh, and as it turns out now, staff, because if somebody wants something, they'll go, oh, speak to Phil. Because uh, c- I've been at the football club and in my previous role with, with the advertising team, you, you know, you're speaking to companies and local businesses. And so I, I know quite a few people uh, through my football days as well. Um, so I'm sort of seen to be the go-to man if anybody wants anything. Uh, but mainly my job is, is, is just to look after the players um, outside of football. So all they need to do is concentrate on, on keeping fit, training, playing football matches for this football club. All it must be home. quite daunting, Phil, um, mm. for, for
0: young players or international players to come uh, and obviously, you probably get more more business, I should say, more, more more work from the guys who are new to the football club because you're helping them yeah. to feel settled.
2: Yeah, that's it. I mean, I have, I have, I have people help me. I, I'm not on my own. We, we, there's, there's a few of us in the office and we all, we all chip in and do stuff. But um, that is my main job in the transfer windows. So we're in the middle of one now, uh, January. But um, the summer ones where it's like two or three months, I mean, we signed 10 players last year. Uh, so, you know, you're on call twenty four hours a day, basically. And I would, I would get a, I would get a text message from Stuart Weber, our sporting director, and just say, this player's coming in, Phil. Can we get a car sorted? He's flying in here. This is his flight details. Can we book him a hotel? Uh, and then I'll go back and say, right, how many people in the party? Because you know, these guys these days they've got agents and finance people. their wives might come over. Uh, some of them bring the the, the the dads, you know, so you've got to find out how in the party. Um, if they're coming into Gatwick or Heathrow, if they're from, obviously, overseas, you know, we need to get a, a big enough car because <clears throat> once they sign, you know, they don't go back and work a month's notice. They are here. They will sign at 10 o'clock on a, on a Friday night and Saturday morning they're training. Uh, so they tend to bring loads of baggage because, um, to be honest, what, <clears throat> what I found with Stuart um, is... Uh, most of the deal is done when they when they actually eventually come to the football club. Um, so they know that basically when they fly over to, to to meet everyone here, they're going to sign the contract that's been negotiated in weeks, months, years previously. Um, <clears throat> so they just uh, bring six or seven cases. <laughs> so you've got a you can't send a. You can't send a small car down there to pick them all up. And then you've got to get them into a hotel um, as quick as you can and get them out of a hotel as quick as you can. It's as simple as that, because uh, they're normal human beings. You know, It's nice having a weekend in a hotel, it's nice having a week, but if you end up there three months, it just affects you. you know, it doesn't care what, what job you're in. If you're in a hotel room for two, three months, which sometimes has happened, you know, it's going to affect your, your work, your job. And in this case, affect your game on the pitch. How um, much
1: prep do you get to do all of this, Phil? Because obviously some deals are done with quite short notice, and you've got so much you need to prepare for. How much time do you get?
2: Um, I what, what I've done, I'm lucky enough now because um, a lot of people I've got a lot of estate. Well, I've got a half a dozen estate agents who I tend to use. Um, I don't go to every single one of them, um, but they know when the transfer window is. They know at January, some, and they're all making contacts. And Phil, as soon as you hear anything, find out what the player wants. And then if we've got anything, we can sort it out. So, I've got to stage now where a lot of people I deal with uh, removal companies, you know, if, if they're moving from north of England or abroad, and they'll they'll then contact me. So, but in the in the early stages, you were you were the, you were floundering a little bit to be honest, Alice because I think oh my uh, god, and then something else you'd, you'd always miss something. I have a little checklist, but you'd always miss something when I first started um
1: you're an organised person then you've got to be organised surely.
2: I like to think I am I like to think I am yeah yeah you, you've got to be a bit structured because uh, it's the same it's a, it's the same thing for me whenever a new player comes in it's the same format whether they come in on, on a flight to norwich or a flight to london um or or they drive down uh, as Jordan Hugel did he drove down um you go and meet the player at the uh, at the hotel um uh, so I'm usually probably after Stuart uh, and Daniel, probably, you know, the third or fourth person they've met for the football club. Do you so, do
1: lots of research on each player then, before you get to meet them, so it, you can it, kind of get in your head what you think yeah. they want from you to start?
2: Well, if I get the chance. Yes, sometimes, sometime, because if, if there's, you know, two or three clubs after the same player, you have to act really quick. Um, so I, if there's a player I've not really heard of and I'll tell you a story. The, fun, the first player I had to pick up um, was uh, our record signer, Ricky Van Wolfswinkle. Um, and uh, I, I don't think this was in the transfer window. I think we just wanted to have some discussions with him. Um, so uh, they, they sort of asked him to fly over from Sporting Lisbon he was in. and uh, The guy at the time in charge was David McNally. So this is really early on in my uh, as a player liaison. officer. he said, "Phil, can you go down and meet this player? Just bring him up to the football club. We just want to have a quick chat. His agent's coming over." So I thought, "Ricky Van Wolfswinkel." So I'm I'm on Google and I'm thinking, "All oh, right, okay, yeah, um, this is what he looks like." Because I had to go down to Heathrow to meet him, and uh, he, I've got all the flight details given to me. So I'm stood in the terminal there, and then I think the first team were playing away somewhere, and, and David rang me and said, "Oh, by the way, Phil." he will be in disguise. And I thought, what? He said, yeah, because um, I think there's a few clubs after him. We're just trying to do this legally and above all, but nice and quiet. So I thought, he's in disguise. I said, God, I've never, I've only met the guy. <laughs> I've never met him. And I've seen this picture on on, on a screen. Um, and I thought I could stand there with a big a big card, because a, a I couldn't spell Van Wolfswinkel, and B, the card would have been so long. Um, and I'm trying to pick that out... That kind
1: of goes against the disguise.
2: Ex- exactly. So I'm thinking... Um, so I'm, I'm looking, I'm trying to find a, a young couple because he's coming over with his girlfriend. Um, I'm trying to find... Uh, right, and, and all these people came off this flight from Lisbon, and that was it. They all disappeared. I'm stood there. And then David McNally rang me and he said, Phil, uh, I've just had Ricky's agent on, uh, he can't find you. Where are you? I said, I'm, I'm still <laughs> the arrivals there. And then all of a sudden there was a tap on the shoulder and I turned around and he went, are you Phil? I said, yeah. I said, are you Ricky? He went, yeah. He had, um, he had a, an army hat on down here, um, big, big, army hat. he had a, a big grey coat up there and all I could see was that. And he went, it's me Phil. It's Ricky, and I went. Is how am I supposed to recognise you <laughs> anyway? Anyway, and then um, then I couldn't realise. I didn't realise that uh, we still had another three and a half hours in the car to drive to Norwich. So uh, we we got in the car and drove up there, and um, him and his girlfriend were uh, great couple. Great lad actually, Ricky. So that was my first. I thought, oh god. So like you said, I I I think I better do a bit of research here next time we get somebody flying in <laughs> uh, who, who, who you don't really know. If you've um... You know, you've got situations like that where players
0: are coming in and he's, he's in disguise. If you're ringing up estate agents and removal companies, you must have a real trust with those guys of everyone in your little black book. Because if you
2: start alerting them to the fact that a high yeah. profile player Every- is coming. Everything's booked in my name, Dan. Everything's booked under PL. Oh, they must do some digging though. If they did and we found out there was a leak, they will not get the business. Simple as that. Because uh, it's a local hotel, and uh, they know the situation when when we got people in. Um, the,
1: much at stake here, isn't there? Yeah, such important business.
2: It is exactly. Uh, I've had the same uh, same thing when we signed Stevie Naismith. You know, um, it didn't quite work out for Steve here, but um, I remember driving to Colney. I'm getting a phone call as we're driving in, and someone said to me, "Phil, there was loads of." Uh, sky cameras and TV cameras outside the training ground. Tell Steve to lie in the back of the car and just drive through them. And, and okay. Did he do uh, it? Yeah. So Steve, as I'm driving along, Steve gets out the front seat and lays in the back, uh, and we just spun into the gates here where I'm staring at now uh, to, to get him in because again, I, I think somebody else is interested in buying him. A similar situation with Nathan Redmond when we signed Nathan, who's gone up to be a you know an absolutely fantastic player. Again with Chris Hewton, Um someone got wind that uh, we were signing him, and we had to we had to dive him under a blanket into the stadium through a little side door to get him into a little room to to have a chat with Chris. So, so this to- the
1: weirdest thing you've had to do because obviously that sounded like with Ricky <laughs> Van Bolswick well that was quite a, a unique introduction. Is well, that up yeah. there with one of your weirdest
2: moments? Well, I laugh at it now, but at the time, I was absolutely. So, oh my God, I've lost a player. Um, I won't ever. I won't ever tell stories of um, of the current squad because it's it's not professional uh, of me, and that's not how we do things. Um, but I've had one or two things uh, with with a guy called Kyle Lafferty. Wow, uh, you know. Um,
1: he always looks like a laugh from what I've seen.
2: Yeah, he's a, he's a different sort of player to look after, you know, you've got 26, 26 players in there. They're all different. Some, some of them do not need anything. You give them a phone number and a name and that's it. And going forward, they will sort themselves out. Some players need a lot of stuff doing for them. Um, Kyle was great. Uh, he's, he's great to have around a training ground. Um, he is, he is the mad Irishman as they, as they sort of say, um, but it was all good fun. Um, but he's, he's got up to all sorts of stuff, that guy. You know, he's, um, he rang me one night and he said, Phil, I've got a problem. I thought, oh my God, here we go. And he said, um, I'm sat in Luton Airport with me, me agent. And the agent was the same agent as Alex Neil, um, same guy. I am sat with uh, me agent and um, we've just landed from Glasgow, Phil. And I've just realized I've left my car keys in my flat in Glasgow. I went, right, uh, so. I can't get to my car uh, because I can't go home to Norwich because I haven't got my car keys. So I've got a spare set. Can you go around to my house, pick the spare set up? I'll phone a taxi to come and meet you and the taxi can bring the car keys to Luton Airport. And this is like half 10, quarter 11 at night. I had a spare key cut because I knew what sort of guy Kyle was. I knew stuff like this was happening. And so I, I said, which I don't know if it's a good thing or not, Alice, actually, because obviously, you know, as soon as anything is wrong, Phil. Um, so I drove, I drove to this house where Kyle was renting, uh, and I saw the guy there, the taxi driver. He said, Oh, are you can get, I said, Yeah, let me just get in, I'll get the key. So I undid the door, the alarms went off, <laughs> you know, dude, dude. I thought, Oh my, and I thought, What's the code? What is the code? He didn't tell me the code, didn't tell me the alarms were on, and all of a sudden, I'm looking out the window, and all the curtains are twitching, and what's going on, and me and this other bloke, or it sort of looks like we're breaking a Kyle's house, so I, I rang him, I said, no answer. And uh, all of a sudden, the taxi driver had his number as well, he used this guy quite a lot. And he said, Oh, it's 4265. So we, we, we cancelled that. And um, I said, oh, Right, where are these spare keys? And uh, he had a Porsche Panorama, real big car, you know, very expensive car, and underneath. And this if it's light switch, he just hammered a tack into the wall and this spare set of car keys was just hanging there to about a, a 90,000 pound car. So I gave it to the taxi driver, he drove off, I locked up and then I think Carl got back 3 o'clock in the morning and then we were training the following day.
1: Amazing. Was well, there at any point during that where you were thinking, what am I doing? Like, this is not in my you... job description. No, I know. I know. <laughs>
2: There's, there's a line, Alice, where you, you don't know where you don't know where it ends. But there's, there's been quite a few stuff. Another guy we picked up, I'll do one more story, because uh, this guy, uh, he, we signed him on loan. Um, I think it was Alex Neal. Uh, the player was Joseph Yobo. Um, we signed him on loan in January. I'm looking at Josh here. Um, maybe four or five years ago. So we were in the Premier League, we were struggling. And we signed George Fiobo, who'd had 10 years at Everton as a centre-half. But um, I think he'd been in Turkey for quite a few years. So um, I got a, a text to say, it was George Fiobo's coming into Norwich Airport. Uh, can you book him in uh, to a hotel? Uh, he's coming here on loan for like, the remainder of the season, January through to, to May. Um, I said, oh, OK. And I thought, so I looked him up, thought, oh, 10 years at Everton. I thought, oh, yeah, I recognise the guy. And when he left Everton, I didn't really follow his career so um so I booked him into Dunstan Hall, um which is one of the hotels that we use. It's just gone at eleven o'clock on a Sunday night at Norwich Airport. Um and we're driving to Dunstan Hall and if anybody's ever been down there, they've got this lovely long, half a mile long driveway. It's all up down the side there. And um we're driving down there. I said, Right, I'll book you in here, Joe's if you went, whoa. I said, stop the car, Phil. I said, As as we approached this the hotel. I said, what's up? He said, is this where I'm staying? I said, um, yeah, we, we use this for all our players. I'm not staying there. I said, you what? I said, I'm not staying there. I said, why? was the man He said, I've stayed here before when I played for Everton and this place is haunted. And I went, sorry? He said, this is haunted. Take me somewhere else. I went, I said, Joseph. It's half past eleven on a Sunday night. Where where are you where are you expecting me to take? I'm not staying. It's haunted. I've played here before. I am not staying in this hotel. And I looked at him. I thought, "You're the big rough, tough centre half who's got to save our club from relegation, and you can't even stay in it." So because of a ghost. Yeah, and he told me this story. Well, I, I had to phone. I phoned someone at Barn and Broom, and we got him in at Barn and Broom. Uh, luckily enough. They had a vacancy, you know. Um, so we drove him there, and I thought, oh, "This that's a good start." And we just had—I just had so many things with Joseph. Very, very difficult. Very difficult guy to deal with.
1: Who was your favourite player to deal with so far?
2: We've had some great players, Dan. Some great characters. Uh, Russell, Russell Martin, as most people would know, is, is absolutely, absolutely top top guy. Uh, and we'd. we'd back me up and help me out if if I got in a bit of trouble with, with some of the players or some of the players who were doing something that Russ thought was a little bit over the line. Um, he would just come up and say, what's happening? Why, why are you doing that? He could do that. I said, well, he should do. I've, I've told him three or four times how to do it. Right, leave it with me. And he would go off and have a word. So Ru- Russell is absolutely top man, top man to me. But we've had some, we've had some great lads over, over the years.
1: Do you ever feel like people walk over you at all because you can pretty much do everything for them, or do you feel that that most players are respectful as just a few that have tried to push the boundary
2: yeah there's always, there's a few that have done it um uh, and if you if you say no, they sort of what you know I say, no it's your job I say well, yeah, that particular thing isn't my job um i'll help you I'll help you sort it out, but don't expect me to do the whole thing um but you get involved in all sorts of stuff. I think everyone who reads a newsletter when they, they, they look at these people who work for the football club and they watch what's your job role? And they go, no no day is, is the same. And it isn't here. The only day that's similar in football is match day. But uh, from Monday to Friday, there's always something happening. Um, what do you, do
1: you do on a match day?
2: Uh, not a lot at the moment. <laughs> um, at the moment, I'm looking after all the injured players. Uh, of which we've had quite a few over the last few months. We've had some some big injuries, uh, so I, I look after them. But on a normal match day, I, um, if a player is injured or, or, or suspended, uh, we will bring them up to stage stadium. I think Dan's done a couple where we'll go into lounges where supporters are and corporate guests, and we will have a QA and a with the player. Uh, we, we go into Legends Lounge, which is run by Adam Drury, uh, that used to be run by Darren Huckabee and, and Darren Huckabee does a gun club after. We send a player up there um, to do the man of the match stuff. Uh, and I have to sort of just do a little bit of um, coordination with the media guys to make sure they're up there at the right time. Um, and then my, my main job, again, which is not happening at the moment, is to look after the uh, the players lounge with all the wives and families uh, and, the, and the guests that the players invite to, to each home game. Uh, so it's a busy day. It's a busy day.
0: You've spoken about some of the, the more difficult characters that you've had to handle over the years at the football club. A real emphasis of Stuart Weber Daniel Farker's recruitment has been around culture and bringing in good quality people. Have you noticed a difference in the way that the players, I say use you, but
2: but treat you and, and work with you? Uh, yes. Uh, uh, there's, I've noticed a lot. Of, since Stuart's been a and Daniel, I've noticed a lot of a lot of changes, everything's just gone up a level. Um, I mean, we've had plans, I said I've been here eight years, we've had plans and drawings for the, 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 the training ground in all of those eight years. Uh, nothing's ever happened. Uh, then another manager come in and go, oh, I think we'll move the gym over there, we'll oh, change all the, um, but Stuart's come in and with with the bond that we did a few years ago, that's up and running, that's done. And that helps me enormously because when you're showing a player around the training ground, because that's his office, you know, most of them have been to the stadium and played there. Um, and they play there once a fortnight. But the training ground is is their office and uh, where they do their day-to-day stuff. So to bring a player up here now, um, it's absolutely fantastic. We, we signed a guy, Josip Dimic, you know, full Swiss international, played in the Bundesliga. It's not worked out for him, but... As soon as he walked in the gym, he went, Wow, this is absolutely fantastic. And to get feedback like that, fantastic, yeah. Especially to what, I mean, when I came up here, it was just full of porter cabins. I don't know if, Dan, you were up here at a certain time, just porter cabins and porter cabins. And since Stuart's been uh, along with Daniel, um, everything's just ramped up a level the, the the facilities here now are fantastic. And I've had the same conversation with Jordan Hugel. I walked him round. He came up for a chat with Stuart. I walked him round, and he said, "This is better than West Ham, and West Ham are in the Premier League."
1: Guys, do you think do they expect a little bit less, or is it just that the facilities are now so good they're just a little bit surprised by it? I, th-
2: I think if if you're a player who's been to a few clubs uh, in the Premier League, it's just expected now that the level is is so high. You know that they are like they're like international, they're like racehorses. They're everything's done for them. Uh, the, the, they don't want for anything in equipment and facilities and staff. You know, all the staff here are, are top end. And, um, you know, if you want to attract a, a player to a football club, you've, you've got to show them what you've got, you know. Um, and even the last three or four years, it's changed dramatically up here. Sounds um, like a really nice and, place and,
0: for you to work, Phil.
2: <clears throat> well, it is. And it, it, Listen, if you're top of the league, you can't enjoy your job, then there's, you shouldn't be here. I mean, my first year doing this, we got relegated uh, under Chris Hutton And then I think Neil Adams had six games where he, he couldn't really do a lot. You know, it's, it's horrendous. That really is not a pleasant place. Um, but we've had more good times than bad. Um, you know, I mean, the, probably the best day ever. A lot of people said this with the club is, is the playoff final against Middlesbrough. Um, and, and the club did something there completely different to anything else I've heard. Um, I think David McNally was in. It was chief exec, and Ricky Martin here was was the technical director, and Ricky was my boss. Um, so when we got to the playoff final um, against Middlesbrough with with Alex and Frankie, um, the club paid for the, for the first team squad to go down to uh, the uh, the Grove, I think, which is a lovely hotel near Watford, and have a couple of days there, bit of training, play some golf. And then in, uh, on the Monday afternoon, we went up to Wembley and just went in the chat, just had a look at it because a lot of the players hadn't been. So we went down early, uh, I think it was Sunday, Monday, uh, just to have a look around the change room. We were told what change room, just to get, get the lads the feel of it. And, um, and then we decided that we'd invite all the, all the wives and families in a separate hotel, uh, which, was, which ended up being my job. Um, so we had, uh, I think the lads were at the Hilton Wembley, which is right next door to the stadium, uh, and we had we put the wives up in the Conrad, which is near the Houses of Parliament. Absolutely fantastic hotel. Paid for the lot, um, and quite a few of the wives. have said, Blimey, I've I've been, my husband's been in playoff, three playoff finals. We've we've never even done this. This is absolutely fantastic. What a nice gesture from the football club. So all the wives had uh, had the Sunday night together. Uh, and then on, I think it was a Monday. Um, we then played. Um, we played How wow. much
1: pleasure do you get from knowing that 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 has made people happy? That must make you feel proud as well. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a big it's, part of your
2: job. It is. Uh, you know, uh, it wasn't my decision to do this. I haven't paid for it, but I, I was I was the force, uh, the face of it. And you, you haven't get. And there's about seventy odd wives and families that we have to look after. And um, I then had to organise a couple of coaches. Which was not easy to do, if you remember. I think in the every coach company in Norfolk was booked for the fans to go down. So I, again, I wrong a contact. He knew somebody in London, and um, we uh, we got a couple of coaches. Uh, we had to get two two coaches for for the wives and the kids and and, and the mums and dads, uh, and we, we then drove. And, and the feedback I got was was fantastic. And if you win, it's it's, it's great, you know. Um, but as a it all paid off. It's a, it's a lovely gesture from the football club because uh, I think it was um, Dean Kiley's wife, who was a goalie coach, um, she said, Phil, I've, Dean's been to three playoff finals and two of them I didn't even get invited to, to watch the game. So the fact that we got, and it, we, we paid for corporate, so they had a meal before the game as well. So they had a hotel the night before, a meal before the game and then we had a big party after which we'd booked, uh, luckily. And uh, she said, it's been fantastic. What a lovely way. Uh, and you get know. to get
1: involved and enjoy that as well? Do you get to sit down and have a meal and have a nice hotel today? Um,
2: no, I went out, me and my wife went out and had a breather because there was, there was two noises. There were so many kids there, Alice. Was, <laughs> I believe, the restaurant was absolutely heaving, but we let them get on with it and uh, me and my wife just had a night out in, in London before the, the final because uh, she sort of gave me a bit of help as well um, organising uh, all, all these people to to look after. Uh, but when we woke up on the morning of the game, um, the, the bus driver said, we've got a bit of a problem here. Um, the route I was going to take to Wembley Stadium, uh, they've shut it. Oh, yeah, there's a 10K charity run. Oh, right, and I've gone for an option two, uh, and they've shut that route as well because the Queen's opening Parliament. I went, oh, and so we had to, yeah, we, whatever, there's something happening, Dan, and we had, to, we had to leave half an hour earlier to get, because they had to be at the, the stadium at 12 o'clock for a meal. So we had, to, we had to get all these people down and some of the women were, uh, were taking a bit longer to get ready, shall I say. And uh, so we had to move out half an hour earlier and, to try and get everyone down in time. But luckily we, luckily we just got there, but, uh, the oh,
1: oh, oh. bus arrived late. That could probably yeah. explain that. I'm pretty sure I remember their, their bus, from, yeah. yeah.
2: Yeah. Their driver got sacked actually for that. Harsh,
1: yeah, but maybe
0: yeah. fair. Well, it did prove quite an expensive mistake, I suppose. Phil, you must get really quite close with some of these, you know, not just the players, their families as well. Is it difficult after a big high like the player final? I think, if I'm right, saying Bradley Johnson, for example, moved on after that promotion. You know, do you get close with players and then they disappear and and it sort of start again? Is that difficult ever? Uh,
2: yeah, you do actually, because. Um... Like I said, on a match day, I'm in, I'm in the the players' lounge, and it's basically you, you, you're spending most of the day uh, a match day w- with the wives and the kids, and you get to know them all. Um, uh, and then, yeah, I remember Bradley ringing me. Said, "Phil, I'm I'm leaving." I went, "You're leaving?" He said, "Yeah. See, I'm just in a hotel in, in Derby. Um, uh, just wondering if you could help me rent my house out because we're going to have to move up here." Um, and we did. We got. We got. We signed Matt Jarvis, and, and Matt went to live with Bradley. And that's another thing which is great because if you're signing a player, if you've got a player who's got a nice house, and you know these lads are at a certain level of property, you, you know you, they move on, and all of a sudden their house is empty. And if they don't want to sell it, and they'd rather rent it, we've always got a bit of a um, a line of players who. Well, that's a football. This is Bradley Johnson's house, so help yourself. So. Um, but yeah, his, his, his wife, yeah, narisha and then, you know, we, um, if any of the girls, uh, have babies, you know, we'll, we'll send a bouquet of flowers from the club, um, and stuff like that, because the wives, they're all part and parcel of it. You know, people think us it's, uh, uh, it's, it's a great vibe. to great... be a
1: happy wife, surely, behind a player.
2: Yeah. So, you know, they, they spend a lot of time on their own. Because the uh, players, you know, you don't you don't do Christmas, you don't do New Year, you don't have time off at Easter. If if you want that, you don't get involved in football. You know, they're training Christmas Day, they're travelling down to what for Christmas Day, so that the families might see them for an hour or two hours. Um, and that's all the staff as well, it's, it's the physios and the the masseurs and the analysts. And we've got a guy Johnny Martin who's like the log- logistics guy, who sorts of travel out. All their Christmases are interrupted as well. Um, so, yeah, you do, get, you, do get, um, you do get tied in with the families. Um, and to see, you know, like Russell, Russell Martin go and, and, and his, his good lady, you know, it's, you just wish them all the best. And you'll message each other now and again. Um, something will come. Someone will get married. Will get, I think I'm invited to Cameron Jerome's wedding. Well, he ain't been here two years. Uh, that's been put off. and It's been put off again. So whether we ever get to see Cameron and Natalie, I don't know. But, um, your, your
0: mobile phone is probably not one you want to lose anywhere, Phil, I'd imagine. Definitely not.
2: Definitely not. There's some, there's some big numbers in there, mate, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, my wife does get fed up of it, without a doubt, without a doubt. Um, but if I can sort something out with a quick text or a message or, or send a number or try this, then great. Uh, Sometimes, though, you, you'd have to get in the car and, and do something. Um, but, you know, my job is to look after the players. It's as simple as that. Uh, and that is such
1: a big job, isn't it? You know, if, if a player isn't happy mentally with the house they're living in or the surroundings, which plays such a crucial part, that is then going to be reflected yeah. on the pitch, isn't it? So your job exactly. is, is so crucial.
2: Exactly. And don't worry, Alice, they will tell you if they are not happy, without a doubt. Um, we're, uh, In fact, I think this afternoon we're trying to find a, a, another house for Lucas Rupp. Um, you know, uh, he's had a, a little bit of an issue with, with, with where he's been. So again, um, if he's not comfortable, you know, we're going to have to find him somewhere else. So um, that, that's my next job this afternoon, I think. If we can do it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you can, you can yeah. do anything. But, but with the language barrier, when foreign players come over here, do they often struggle with the language to start with and is it a case of you i mean i don't know whether you speak many languages or whether you put them on to people that can help them learn english how does that happen
2: um luckily a lot of lads speak english we are so lucky we are so lucky that um a lot of foreign boys speak the language recently chavi Chavy quinte has come over whose english is very basic um but he knows emmy buendia so we sit next to each other in the locker room so they spend a lot of time together um, O'Neill Hernandez is another one. O'Neill was really struggling on on, on speaking English. Uh, we have we have set him up. We have got somebody who, who can come to the training ground and, and do an hour or a couple of hours here and there. Just being around English-speaking people, they will soon pick pick stuff up. Chabi um, gets a little bit, uh, bit bit concerned over UK red tape and. What's council tax, Phil? Why have I got to pay council tax? I, I, I said, I said if, you, if you work in England, you've got to pay council tax. If you live in a house and you've got to pay, well, what do I get, Phil? What am I paying all this money for? It's difficult to explain, actually. If someone emptying your bins, uh, uh, your street lights, it's gone. what? Anyway, so you, you have to just, uh, yeah, uh, the ways of England sometimes don't, they're a bit sort of quizzical about and you
1: must you must see a big change a lot of the time in players from when they've come and perhaps been quite shy and then when they leave the club having been here for a while how proud does that make you feel
2: yeah it's if it makes the club money it's great isn't it it's it's great um if they've enjoyed the time here um i i've had i've had some nice messages i I must say um you know for me i'm just doing my job um but for them uh, and again, it's not until someone leaves that you realise um, that, that, oh, they did appreciate what I've done. Um, I, I'll, I'll give you an example. Um, we we had another lad on loan, Ibrahim Amadou. Uh, who's was probably best 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 bit here was playing when we beat Man City, playing out of position at centre half, and we beat Man City three one. Um, again, he 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 was he was quite needy. His girlfriend was in France. He he, he came from Spain. She was studying or something so he was on his own a lot Um, and his English wasn't very good at all Uh, so he needed a little bit of extra help and a little bit of extra time and I ended up doing quite a lot for Ibrahim Uh, and again it didn't work out, he's gone back to to his parent club and he just sent me a lovely text message, Phil I never really said it but thank you for so much you've done, Uh, I couldn't have Stayed where I stayed. I couldn't have done what i had done without you. Really appreciate everything that you did for me. i uh, like to wish you all the best and I hope we meet up again. I'm thinking, wow, that from a guy who's, who's only here three or four months, um, you know, it, it makes it worthwhile. It makes it worthwhile. Absolutely. And
1: that is how important your, your job is, isn't it, here at Norwich? And, Finally, Phil, what does, we know what Norwich means to a lot of players and what you mean to a lot of players as an example you've just given there, but what does Norwich mean to you and why is it so special? Uh,
2: it's, 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 uh, it's been a big part of my life. Uh, my dad played. Um, I had six years here as a player. I've now done 14 years in other roles. Um it's 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 always the first result I look for even when I was working at the newspaper uh you just it, it, like Dan said it's it's a nice place it's a nice place to work um if you just come in do your job um and just get on with it and it, you'll get looked after and, and and that's that's in my view with most of the staff here and at the stadium I, I I've been up stadium for a few years now but um the training ground is it's a nice place to work at the moment. It won't always be that There the times when um things ain't going so well um it's it's always horrible uh to see a manager leave because you, you know you see them every day and uh, it, when I was traveling with the first team as well so to away games you know you you're working like seven days a week and you're probably seeing them more than your your wife and your your kids 'cause Football, that the hours has put in the, is is the long hours, but listen, I, I, I love it here and it's a great place to to work. Uh, it's a lovely place to live. Like a lot of ex players will come back here and to say the same thing. We just do things properly here. We just try and look after everybody. Um, if we can be as professional as we can, off the pitch as well as on it, um, then you know more the merrier. And at the moment, we're doing really well. Uh, it's such a pity that the supporters can't, can't come to the stadium because uh, we are playing some fantastic football um, we've got a great set of lads at the moment great set of lads team spirit is brilliant uh, at the moment like I said it's, it's a good place to be so um, long may it continue
1: Lovely note to end it on Phil it has been an absolute pleasure talking to you today thank you so much for being so open and loved your stories. thank you so no,
2: much no worries to speak to you. thank you Alice thank you Dan it's So good to see you Cheers, mate. Bye-bye.
1: Really interesting to hear those tales from Phil there. It was great to get an insight into the workings, really, of someone who works so closely with the first-team players, and he had some brilliant stories, didn't he, Dan?
0: They were great stories. I especially loved the Ricky Van Wolfswinkle in disguise. That was hilarious. I never knew that happened.
1: Yeah, that was brilliant. But make sure you subscribe if you want more podcasts like that. When we're on Spotify, Apple, and YouTube, just search All In Yellow. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.